Good morning. Today is Sunday, June 20th, 2021. Happy Father's Day. I am endlessly fascinated by the effort to apply sources in classical Jewish law, many of them from 2,000 years ago, to modern emerging problems and challenges. Now, when we do this, we must take care in two realms. The first is in how we learn the sources. We have to make sure that we are learning them clearly and accurately and comprehensively, because very often the conclusion of one passage in the Talmud is simply not clear. What the outcome is, is not clear. And also, no passage can be taken in isolation, but needs to be considered within the context of other passages. We can't arrive at a conclusion just from one passage. We need to be able to take into consideration all of the passages that impinge on this subject. That's number one in terms of the way we learn the sources. Number two is we have to be alert to the nuances of the current situation, which may differ subtly, but substantially from the case of the classic sources. And this is an example of this and something that is uh, relevant to us today. And I'd like to share this with you. So in recent years, a terrible problem has arisen known as ransomware. Computer hackers can hack into a computer system of a company, of a government, of a utility, and its operators then will not be able to access any of their files. They will not be able to control anything in their system and their software, their files, their computer system is held for ransom until a ransom is paid. This problem is proliferating rapidly. You may recall recently in the news, a pipeline that supplied gasoline to most of the East Coast of the United States was shut down. And there were many places across the Eastern seaboard where people could not get gas to drive their cars. A major U.S. meat processor was closed down, idling a plant, creating meat shortages, idling thousands of workers from being able to work and support themselves. A number of cities and towns, their entire computer system locked, inaccessible, unless they would pay some very high ransom. And that means that in the entire city, you can't do anything by computer. Even hospitals. A recent case in Vermont hospital was attacked with ransomware, literally. Okay, so it's one thing for the hospital administration to be locked, but literally putting patients' lives at risk because the appointments for chemotherapy treatments all got erased, were not accessible. People didn't know when to come. They couldn't make appointments. Literally lives at risk unless a certain exorbitant ransom is paid. So the first thing is that companies and other entities need to be proactive 
and to take security measures in advance to prevent this from happening, or at the very least, lower the chances of it happening. But there are steps that, that people can take. Yes, of course, uh, hackers are always looking for the way to overcome the latest security feature, but, but that's part of what it means to do business with computers today. And companies, the, the ones who have been attacked, have generally been those that had lax security computer-wise, and they need to uh, enhance it very, very strongly. But of course, there is a great temptation to pay the ransom if the alternative is the complete loss of all computer access and all computer use within a company, a utility, a hospital where lives are at risk, so Jewish law addresses this quite directly. The Mishnah says in Masechta Gitin 45a, Memheyam and Aleph, famous Mishnah, Ein Podin Eseshvuyim Yoser We are not allowed to pay an exorbitant ransom more than the normal ransom. So I just have to take a parenthesis to say to you, um, what is considered normal ransom and what is considered an absorbent ransom, that's a bit of a complicated subject, but I think we would have to agree paying for using my own computers is by definition an exorbitant ransom. And certainly the amounts that we hear paid or being required or being considered are certainly exorbitant sums of money. Sums of money. Says the, says the Mishnah, why? Bibnei tikkun ha'olam, in order for the benefit of society. What does that mean? For the benefit of society? How does it benefit society? It will not create an incentive for more people to, to take people captive. If I take someone captive and I demand a ransom and it's paid, I see, oh, this is easy money. I'll do it again. If I see that I'm not going to get paid, it is not going to lead to the outcome that I'm looking for. We're talking about situations where the motive is money. So then if it doesn't pay, it doesn't pay. I'll go on to some other thing. Every person who pays a ransom is therefore colluding in making it more likely that the next person will be will be ransomed, will, will be taken captive. So what is clear from this passage in the Mishnah, which is re reflected in sources in classical Jewish law, is that the default position should be not to pay. And let's understand what that means. Not to pay, even if that put li puts lives at risk. Remember, you're putting lives at risk not to pay this ransom. And the calculus is we're putting this certain number of lives at risk because, and not paying, because by paying the ransom and encouraging others to attack, we'll be putting many more people at risk. So a society has the right to legislate laws for the good of society, even though they are not for the good of a given individual. 
And an individual might very well be willing to say, listen, God forbid, I mean, it's a terrible situation. No one should ever have to be in this situation. It's, it, I'm the one that's affected and I have the money and I want to pay it. But we have to say to that person, society has to say to that person, no, don't do that. Even though God forbid a terrible outcome may happen, but it will, for the society, create more safety. But then there is another passage in the Talmud. So a few pages later, the Talmud tells the following story. This is on 58a. There was a story just after the destruction of the Second Temple when many Jews had been taken slaves in Rome. <clears throat> and many of them were being held there as slaves. And many of them were being held there as captives for ransom. My Sibrib Yeshua ben Chananiah. There was a story where Rabbi Yeshua, the son of Hananiah, went to a great city in Rome and they said to him that there's a young man and he is a very special young man and he's being held captive for a ransom. And Rabbi Yeshua went to speak to this young man and they had an in-depth conversation and finally, Rabbi Yeshua said about him, Amar, he said, Yisrael. I am certain that this young man will grow up to be a worldwide Torah leader. And keep in mind, this is during the time after the destruction of the temple when Torah leadership, when spiritual leadership was in such short supply that there would be a young man who would be able eventually to assume the ranks of the highest level of leadership, of scholarship and teaching and moral authority, that was a tremendous need of the Jewish people at that time. So he said, I, I am certain that this boy can become that, that person. Ha'avoda, I'm taking an oath that I will not move from here until I raise all the money necessary to redeem him. And the Talmud says he did redeem him for an exorbitant sum. And that boy, whose name was Yishmael, grew up to be the famous Rabbi Yishmael, one of the great scholars in the Mishnah and in the Talmud, a great authority in Israel. Okay, so that's the story. Now here's the complicating Analysis. Does the story in the Talmud mean to suggest that Rabbi Yoshua was right? The Talmud doesn't say, was he right? Was he wrong? The Talmud says, in that case, it led to a good outcome. But does that mean he was right? Because it appears that what he did contradicted the rule in the Mishnah that we learned before. The next question is, is his position, was his action of ransoming Yishmael for an exorbitant serum, actually a contradiction to the Mishnah. That also is not so clear because one approach might be to say that the concept of the Mishnah is that society has a right to make a decision that is best for the society, even if it is not best for any given individual. Well, if that's the case, maybe Rabbi Yeshua's case Maybe Rabbi Yeshua's story is a story that shows when the opposite is also true. If there's one individual 
who is so needed by the Jewish people, maybe maybe the intent of Rabbi Yeshua is to show us that the same reasoning can be used in the opposite direction, that saving one person might be in the interest and benefit of society, even if it puts others at risk. The Talmud does not exactly clarify what the lesson is. So we have to look at later scholars who will try to interpret for, for us and codify for us. And the path that I am suggesting to you is one of the paths that many scholars, not all, but many scholars undertake in understanding these two passages. That the default is that we do not pay ransom. The only exception would be where the society has a greater need for what is being held than the future danger of more ransom attacks. So the application to that today would be to prohibit a company from paying ransom unless the need is for the greater benefit of society. So maybe, I'm just hypothesizing here, and maybe it reflects my own personal biases, but and we might disagree about how to apply it. Maybe we'd say a meat plant, farfallen, it goes off, it stays off, you're not allowed to pay the ransom. People can live without meat. Hospitals, you got to pay. People's lives are in danger. I'm talking about when it affects patient care, not when it affects uh, just administration. It affects patient care. That's the highest priority. You got to pay. Gasoline, providing gasoline. Okay, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence with this. There could be situations where if a person can't get a hold of gas, it could be an emergency. They won't be able to get somewhere. On the other hand, if it's a shortage in a limited area, maybe it's possible to bring in gasoline from another area. That was actually a problem during this recent problem. So, okay, I'm a little bit unclear about that. But here's the problem. The problem is it's hard to enforce because a company or an entity that is attacked may not reveal it has been attacked and certainly may not reveal that it paid the ransom. So even if you had such a law, it's unclear what help it would be because how are you going to make sure? Yes, it's, it's fine for me to say to, to, to the head of the colonial oil uh uh, company don't uh, pipeline don't pay the ransom, but uh, they're not necessarily going to listen to my moral stance. In fact, in that case, they did not. But there is an aspect of this that was not foreseen by the Talmud and has become a major part of this problem. And this is a part that can be fixed and should be fixed, in my opinion. And this is the subject of a recent essay in the New York Times last week by Dr. Josephine Wolf. Dr. Wolf is a professor of cybersecurity policy at Tufts University in Boston. And I'd like to present to you that I believe that her thinking that I'm about to share with you is in complete accord with Talmudic law, and Talmudic values in how to approach this situation. She says, you know, we talk about the company paying the ransom or the company not paying the ransom, what the law should be, what the law should not be. But there's one aspect of this that's very much overlooked, and that is the role that insurance pays. 
Because in many cases, when someone pays, or a company or an entity pays the ransom, it is the insurers that are actually paying almost all of the money. For example, Lake City, Florida was attacked with ransomware. The hackers demanded $500,000. The insurance policy that they had covered ransomware attack paid all $500,000 except for a $10,000 uh, deductible. An even larger Florida city, Riviera Beach, paid ransom of 600, paid a, an even bigger ransom, $600,000 was paid by the insurance company, $25,000 the, the, the city paid as a deductible. But the point is, knowing that insurance will cover ransoms can make it easier for companies to decide to pay because the money is not coming from them, which only fuels further attacks. And let's understand the way insurance works, that more and more insurance companies paying these uh, uh, payments simply makes the cost increase for everyone across the board. Dr. Wolf writes, at a time when attacks are targeting increasingly high stakes infrastructure, including pipe, fuel pipelines and fuel food supply change, effectively insulating insurance companies from the full cost of ransom payments would be a serious mistake. And that is within the purview of government regulation. Government can regulate that insurance companies are not allowed to offer that type of insurance. And I believe that that step is in accord with the Talmudic passages that we studied and in accord with both the letter and the spirit of the law that comes from classical Jewish law. I would advocate for that position, even in a situation where maybe a ransom is going to be paid because of the need that is of a greater need to society than the threat of more frequent attacks in the future, but having someone else pay it so it reduces the hurt and makes it easier to do, that definitely adds more risk to the future and should be disallowed. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person. And I would love to hear what you think about this subject.